Palm Sunday and we are on our final uh, sermon in this series uh, of Cries from the Cross. And we're going to be looking this morning at this cry, It is finished. And I want to suggest to you this is the cry of the King. I want us to look at the cross this morning and hear this cry through the lens of Palm Sunday I want us together to recognise King Jesus, recognise the King, understand his victory, and truly for ourselves hear his cry. It is finished. But I first want to talk to you just a little bit about just how many audacious and contestable claims I think there are out there in this life. Would you agree with me? There are some pretty big Whoppers out there, some pretty big shockers. I've focused just on adverts for a moment here. For example, if I wanted an ordinary cake, if I was a little peckish this morning, I could buy an ordinary cake, couldn't I? Or make one. But if I wanted an exceedingly good cake, what would I buy? (laughs) Mr. Kipling's. That's exactly right. And if I fancied an ordinary, perhaps a nice cold beer to sit in my garden, I could buy that. But if I wanted probably the best beer in the world, it would have to be a Carlsberg, apparently. Now, if I thought, well, I've, uh, you know, I've got my cake and my beer, but I'm still hungry, um, I want to complement this with some snacks. If I wanted a snack that was so good that once I'd popped, I could not stop eating it, it would be Pringles. That's right. It's impossible, apparently, to stop. You can't. It is what it is. And if I thought, I want something, you know, a little bit sweeter, I'd actually like to literally taste a rainbow. Can I taste that and eat that? Yes, you can. A packet of Skittles, and you can taste the actual rainbow. And then I could, of course, pop out for the day. Um, I would need to shave my beard with the best razor a man can get, which, of course, would be a Gillette. I could then uh, get in my car, put an actual tiger in the tank, because apparently that's going to help, Esso. And then I could finish off by eating some chicken that is so good. (laughs) You know what I'm going to do with my fingers. (laughs) It's finger-licking good. So many claims. Such, actually that last one, KFC, they're right. It is finger-licking good, but such hyperbole. And actually some of those claims I would suggest maybe a little contestable. I mean, Skittles... Tasting rainbow should probably be taste the sugar rather than taste the rainbow, but I guess that wouldn't sell them particularly. Mr. Kipling makes exceedingly average cakes, I think would be probably a slightly fairer. Nothing against Mr. Kipling's, they're very nice. But you know they're not as good as your mum's homemade cake, are they? Um, Yeah, putting a tiger in your tank probably isn't the answer to the uh, escalating fuel price issue, is it? I'm not sure it's going to help, but... Huge claims. The the, the truth is, so many claims in life are contestable. Governments, companies, people, they love to exaggerate salespeople. This is the very best, the greatest, the one and only. But sometimes, and let's just think about this for a moment, just because that is something we recognise, sometimes a huge claim, an extraordinary claim is made that is actually true, that is 100% accurate in every way, whether people believe it or not, whether people understand it or poo-poo it or go, it's true. The truth is, as we 
turn this morning to Palm Sunday, we realise in this moment of cheering and celebrating and praising as he enters Jerusalem, the beginning of Passover week, that the people around Jesus are making an enormous claim. They're actually claiming that this man from Galilee, this teacher, this miracle worker, isn't just a prophet or a wise man, that he's the one true king of all. And the amazing truth is, and I love this, that Jesus, so-called meek and mild, tender, gentle Jesus, would never upset anyone, he doesn't dispute it. He goes, yeah. Yeah. You see, Jesus' ministry had been so contested throughout it's one of the rhythms of the Gospels as you read it. Jesus does something and the criticism comes. Christianity is still contested. Your faith will be contested. Who does he think he is? Isn't this just Joseph's son? What authority does he think he's got to speak like that, or to heal like that, or to forgive sins, to do that on a Sabbath day? He's a fraud, a con man, a rabble rouser. He's a liar, a cheat, a drunk, a glutton. And yet all the way through, as people watched his ministry, I mean really watched, as they saw his love, heard his teaching, witnessed his miracles, spent time with him, healed by him, restored by him, taught by him, many actually began to realise that the religious authorities were wrong about Jesus. That he really was who he said he was. That he wasn't exaggerating when he made the most enormous claims. I'm the bread of life, he said. I am the light of the world. I'm the resurrection and the life. I love that one. I'm the good shepherd. The way, the truth and the life. I have come to seek and save the lost. I've come that you may have life and have it in all its fullness. I've come to open the eyes of the blind to seek the set the captives free and to declare the year of the Lord's favour. These are huge claims. Now on this day, with this entrance to Jerusalem, Jesus is actually saying, and I am the true king of all. Gone are the moments of holding back. Gone are the moments where he tells people to keep his identity quiet. And you can see that in the Gospels. There are moments early on he says, don't go and tell anyone yet. I don't want all this big... This is the moment. This is the moment. On this extraordinary day we call Palm Sunday, because of all the palms that were waved and laid out before him, Jesus finally publicly acknowledges his kingship in the most vivid of ways. You mustn't, because we're familiar with Palm Sunday, we mustn't realise just how outrageous what he's doing is, how blatant what he really is saying. You see, so many people would have been travelling to Jerusalem for the festival, it was normal perhaps to arrive a week early to prepare yourself ritually, to be ready um, for the Passover meal that would be celebrated. Um, and Jesus has come with his disciples to do just that. That's not unusual. And this particular day, I love it, starts with Jesus and his disciples on the east of Jerusalem. So you're looking at me, so east is going to be that way for you, isn't it? So they're in this, uh, uh, this section just east of Jerusalem, at the Mount of Olives, just a couple of miles from the city, approaching a small dwelling place called Bethphage. And think about it, basically, Creech St. Michael. You're in Creech St. Michael, okay, and you're going to head into Taunton. 
All right, the idea would be to walk quietly down the hill into the city to see what was going on, perhaps get a bite to eat, settle down for the evening, but Jesus had other plans. He tells his disciples, go commandeer a donkey, and if anyone asks, just say the Lord needs it. I love that. Isn't that amazing? So they do, and they come back with this donkey, but now they begin to throw their coats over the donkey. It's as if they understand what's happening for a moment now, And then they begin to spread their cloaks out on the ground before Jesus, forming a pathway to ride on, like a red carpet, if you like. Soon, Jesus is surrounded by a procession of people cheering and celebrating God and praising Jesus as he enters into the city. Others, Mark tells us, spread branches, palm branches on the ground still Others, John tells us, they all go for it, the gospel writers. They love this moment. A vast crowd, in fact, had formed in the city. So not the ones that came with Jesus, but they'd heard about it. They'd heard he's coming. They're in the city. They come out to greet him now with more palms and more cheering and more celebrating. This is the one they've heard of. This is the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. This is the miracle work of the prophet. And now they're saying this is the king. Come and celebrate, come and rejoice. Can you imagine the commotion, the joy, the celebration, the people shouting aloud, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Hosanna to the son of David. Wow. It's awesome. It's an amazing moment. I'd love to have been there. This royal procession, because it was a royal procession. Have no doubt. We look back through the scriptures and we understand the ancient Near East and the traditions of that world. Um, In the centuries running up to uh, Jesus' entrance, this has kind of happened before. Things like this. Solomon rode on his father's mule as... uh, as trumpets were blown and they, and they shouted, long live the king, and, and, and crowds were all around him, and, and the crowds took off their garments and laid them on the floor at the feet of King Jehu as he was coronated. You see, Matthew and John both point out, just as the ancient prophecy of Zechariah declares in chapter 9, verse 9, this is the entrance of a king. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. This was a spectacular moment. It is no wonder that Matthew's gospel tells us that the whole city was stirred. Who is this? The answer was clear. This is King Jesus. This is Jesus, the king of all. It's like a royal convoy heading down the dual carriageway from Creech into town with the band of the Royal Marines playing and helicopters over the top and a royal carriage and crowds cheering. This is King Jesus. And in a rare and beautiful moment of recognition in Jesus' ministry, people actually get it right for once. (laughs) I don't think they understood all that was going on but they recognize that Jesus really is a king, the king of kings, the one they were waiting for. Did they realize he's actually the one the whole world is waiting for? Just for a moment here, they see him. For a moment, they give him his worth. The highest moment of praise is this during Jesus' ministry, the highest moment of true celebration and honor. And yet even that, friends, I just simply as a throwaway comment want to say, do you know what? He deserves so much more. So much more. 
But it was marvellous. It was beautiful. Gone had been, oh, is it okay to clap God? Maybe we shouldn't. No, let's just celebrate and clap and cheer and praise Jesus in this moment. Hosanna, they shouted. And they all recognised him. The disciples, the crowd, the children we read. Even they'd worked it out. It's King Jesus! For the religious leaders, the proud, the powerful, they refused to see. They stood out as different. The ones who claimed to be closest to God actually missed this beautiful moment to give him praise. Instead, they were appalled at the praises given to Jesus. Teacher, rebuke your disciples, they say. Rebuke them. This is appalling, disgusting. How dare they? Who do they think you are? Who do you think you are? Letting them do this. It's a sad moment, this. How would Jesus respond? Do you know, I'm awfully sorry, you're right. I get off my donkey and just quietly lead it in. No. No. Jesus tells them, do you know what? If they keep quiet, the very rocks and stones this day will start praising. Come on. Isn't that amazing? I love this. Jesus pulls no punches. In this moment, there is praise. And if you or anyone else tries to stop it, the whole of creation will cry out and sing instead. What a moment. What a moment of recognising the king. And friends, I just want to grab my water. Oh, here it is. I've got a whole centimetre left. Better uh, ration that. I want us all to realise that no matter what anyone says or thinks, Jesus Christ is the king of the universe. He is the king of all creation. He is the king of time and space and life itself. Here on this donkey riding into Jerusalem was the one the Bible calls in Colossians the image of the invisible God himself. Bless you. Thank you, Sally. This is the one in whom all things were created, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, things visible and invisible, all things created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Amazing scriptures. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Here on a donkey rides the one who is actually the head of heaven's armies. The one who one day will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. To make all things new. This is the one Revelation declares is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The highest, greatest King and Lord of all. He's more loving than you could ever know. He's more wonderful than you could ever Realize more powerful than you can ever comprehend. This is King Jesus. He always has been and he always will be. And all of creation knows it, even when we miss it. All of creation are yearning for his kingdom to come, the Bible says, when his kingship will be known in all its fullness simply want to ask you this morning, do you recognise the King? Do you take him seriously, folks? Do we really give him the honour and the respect that's due his name? There will always be scorners and doubters and haters and mockers, but they don't change the fact and the reality that Jesus is the King of all. 
He's the same yesterday, today and forever. Does not change. No matter what we might think. Well, I think he's like this. I think he's like that. He is who he is. And he is king. I wonder. Have been umming and ahhing recently? Half in, half out. A toe dipped in here, a toe dipped out there. Is it time for you and for us to raise our palm branches high? To join in the praises that he's so worthy of because one day every knee will bow to King Jesus. But as the song says that we sometimes sing, still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose him now. Let's recognize him today on this Palm Sunday. And let us understand too, because if the people, like I said, recognized he was a king it's unlikely they really understood the battle he had come to fight and the victory he had come to win. Of course, the clues had been there throughout his ministry. We can look through scripture and understand so much now. And they were there that day, actually. We turn back to the prophecy, Zechariah 9, verse 9. We normally just read the first bit because that's the bit the scripture quotes, but verse 10 follows it. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus had come righteous and victorious but also lowly and riding on a donkey a beast of humility and burden. This was not the usual entry of a powerful king. You may have heard this before, but there is symbolism in what he's riding. If a king enters into the city on a war horse, with surrounded and flanked by an army, it is making a big statement to the ordinary people in that, in that city. I'm in charge. This is how I keep my rule. There will be no rebellion. There is power and authority here through my might, but here... Jesus, the King of all, God himself, rides into city on a donkey to a rebellious people. People who disregard him in a week will crucify him. He knows. Yet he rides a symbol of peace, a symbol of humility. He's not come to stir revolution or violent uprising, but to reject the powers of chariots and war horses to break the battle bows, to proclaim peace to the nations. This king's rule is not one of butchery, slaughter, and the utter, dev- utter devastation of invasion and war that we've witnessed and are witnessing in our world again in our time. No, this is a king who offers a different way, a kingdom of peace that one day will extend from sea to sea, from river to the ends of the earth. All the zealots would have been cheering this day. Jesus is finally doing what we want him to. But they were wrong. He wasn't here to stir up nationalism, to kick the Romans out with a sword to win freedom. No, he was looking for a different victory. He was coming to bring peace, not just with men and among men, but with God. To win us forgiveness from sin, freedom from guilt, everlasting life instead of death. He would not do it by a dominant display of military force, but by laying down his life. He'd not come to be lifted on a throne, but lifted high on a cross. Not to rule, but to suffer. Not to dictate, but to die. This is our king. 
But let us not misunderstand. He was coming for a battle, friends. And he would win a victory. The proud, the warriors, the rulers, the religious, those who are monopolizing and politicizing the story of God, oppressing the poor and the vulnerable, lining their own pockets. He's declaring here, there is another king in charge now. There is another kingdom breaking in. And although he had not come to wage physical war, he was about to wage a spiritual one as the kingdom of light was about to take on the kingdom of darkness, as the unjust, corrupt and hate-filled rule of the liar, which scripture tells us about, was to be utterly thwarted by the righteous act of the one who had no hate, no lies, no darkness in him whatsoever, but who would stand in the place of every accused person and take the hit himself, the accusations, the suffering, the death that they deserved. There's no way people would have fully understood that on this day. That this King Jesus was about to change the world forever over the course of this week. But he was. He was about to silence the enemy and free the captives. This King was about to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And because of him, millions upon millions upon millions of lives would be saved, restored, redeemed, ransomed into new life and a relationship with God. Now that is a victory. That is an extraordinary victory. The greatest victory of all. This is our King. But can I invite the band to come back up because I want us to finish with one final thought. We're going to worship King Jesus together in a moment. But I want you just to let the cheers and the celebrations of that Palm Sunday go, die down for a moment, come with me back to the cross as we've been looking each week. You may feel it an unbearable contrast, actually it is. It's such a colourful and bright day today and yet in a week's time on Friday it will be such a dark day. In just a week it will all change. The one who was so wonderfully announced as king is now rejected as king, mocked as the king of the Jews, so-called. He's suffering and dying now in agony on a cross when he calls out this extraordinary cry. It is finished. And we could think, has he failed? Has darkness won? Was he no king at all? Friends, nothing could be further from the truth. It is finished, Jesus cries. Everything he had done, everything he had come to do was now complete. Totally done. Nothing more left to do. The victory is won. It's not a cry of despair, but the cry of the conquering king. It is finished. But Matt, what does he mean? What is finished? Scripture tells us this in Colossians. Just hear these two things this morning. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. Would you stand for me, just for a moment, if you're able?
Friends, you will have heard this many times before, perhaps. But I want you to hear it again today. When Jesus cries, it is finished. He means the debt you could not pay has been paid in full. Tetelestai is the word. It means paid in full. It is finished. Everything. Forgiven. Gone. Everything. Gone. Forgiven because of Jesus. And as you look at this world and you see war and you see pain and you see suffering, you say, but what is finished? I want to tell you, do not doubt for a moment that the kingdom of darkness has been defeated. The authority of the accuser has been smashed. But God is patient. The day is coming where King Jesus will come again in glory and his kingdom will come in fullness. But until that day, God is being patient. He wants all to come and know him. And he calls to you and me, would you let people know there's a new king in town? Would you let people know there's a real king out there who loves them more than they could ever know? Who is more just, more wonderful, more creative, more beautiful, more fantastic, more worthy than anyone? He is King Jesus. So I want you to hear very simply this morning the uncontestable declaration of our King. It is finished. If you have made Jesus your King, you are forgiven, you are saved, you are secure, loved and held. Your future is in his hands and it is a beautiful one, more wonderful than you could ever imagine. For the battle has been won Cost has been paid in full, for the king has declared it so, and when the king says it, it is incontestable, incontrovertible, indisputable, undeniable, irrefutable, unquestionable, unarguable, undebatable, categorical, unequivocal, unambiguous, unmistakable, clear-cut, certain, sure, proven, demonstrable, decisive, and conclusive. It is finished, he cried. May you really hear the king's cry this morning if you've been doubting. You are loved, you are forgiven in Jesus. It is finished. Let all of us hear his cry this morning and let it fill us with faith. Come on, with hope, with joy in Jesus our king. It is finished. Amen.